Good morning to each of you who are visiting with us. You have already made our day. Now today I'm supposed to be bringing the third sermon in a new sermon series. However, there has been a change in plans. Today I need to take a time out from that series and talk to you about something else. You ask, uh, why Ronnie? Well, because my boss told me to, and I'm going to do whatever my boss wants. Today I want to share a sermon with you I've entitled, The Truth. That's what I want to do today. Not that that's any different than any other Sunday, but I want to tell you the truth. How can a human being make things right with God and spend eternity in heaven? That's the most important question that we'll answer in our lifetime. Ask people that question and you're going to receive a multitude of answers. But there's only one right answer. And the answer to this question is so important. We cannot afford to be wrong. So what is the truth? How can a human being be made right with God and spend eternity in heaven? To find the truth, I believe we must turn to the Bible. I believe it's a book of truth, a record of truth. So this morning, we're just going to let the Bible speak and establish what the truth is. In my opinion, the truth is built on four facts. Fact number one, God has a plan. God has a plan for us. And His plan is better than our plan. You see how you know that? Let's let the Bible speak, okay? There's a verse I want you to read with me. John chapter 10, verse number 10. Jesus is speaking and he says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And then Jesus says, man, it's an incredibly important statement. He said, my purpose, the reason I came, lived, died, and rose again. My purpose to all that was to give them, who? People. To give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus said, here's why I came. I came to give human beings, people just like you and me, a rich, satisfying life. You say, Ronnie, he's got to be talking about heaven there, right? Wrong. He's not talking about heaven here. He's talking about that span of time between conception and death, the life we're given on this earth. That's what he's saying. He said, I came to give people a rich, satisfying life on this earth. Not a life rich in money or possessions, but a life rich in peace, happiness, meaning, fruitfulness, friendships, love. A life rich in contentment. Now, other translations read that Jesus said my purpose was to give them life to the full. You know what that Greek, you know what the Greek word means that was translated into the English word full? It means, uh, Jesus was saying, I came to give them a life better 
than anything they could ever accomplish on their own. A life better than, than, than they could accomplish under ideal, perfect circumstances. I came to give them that kind of life. Jesus is talking about a quality of life here. A quality of life that goes beyond our imagination. So Jesus has that plan for you. He planned to give you a rich, satisfying life. Now that in itself ought to be enough, but it goes further than that. Read another verse with me. John 3.16, and if you've ever been to Sunday school or vacation Bible school, you probably have this one memorized, but I want us to read together. John 3.16, Jesus said, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone, did you see that? Everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have, that's the key word. Are you seeing it? Eternal life. Jesus said, here's my plan. I'm going to give you a quality of life on this earth that goes beyond anything you could accomplish on your own or anything you could imagine. But here he's saying, let me tell you what else. I'm going to give you a quantity of life that has no limit. Not just a rich, satisfying life, but eternal life, which means that one of these days, the rich, satisfying life on earth ends, and when it does, we are relocated to a place called heaven. Now, heaven is such a wonderful place that, that the Bible even says that the human mind cannot fathom how, how beautiful and how wonderful it is. Now, we know a little bit about it because uh, we've read in the book of Revelation that it's constructed out of uh, precious stone. It has a river running through it, and I'm pretty excited about that. We do know this. That uh, in heaven, nobody gets sick. Nobody ever hurts. Lynn made me do yard work yesterday. I'm hurting. I can barely move. I'm just going to be honest with you. In heaven, there is no back pain, no toothaches, no headaches. Nobody ever gets sick. Listen, the devil is not going to be allowed there, so nobody sins, which means nobody's ever going to do you wrong or hurt you again. Nobody ever dies. We're never separated. There's never a period of mourning and grieving where we put to rest somebody that's dear to us. And Jesus says, let me tell you what I want to do. Here's my plan for him. Give a rich, satisfying life on this earth. And then when this life is over, I'm going to take you to heaven. And I'm going to bless the socks off of you forever. I think that's what it is. Is that how your translation reads? I might, I might have veered off just a little bit right there. But think about that. What a great plan. It's better than the plan you had for yourself. So fact number one is God has a plan. Fact number two, we have a problem. Say, I knew it. We do. We have a problem. And the problem is sin. Now, I don't want you to take my word for it. Let's let the Bible speak and establish, establish the truth. There's another verse I want you to read. Romans 3, verse 23. And I want you to look at this. For the Apostle Paul says, For everyone. Do you see that? Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Our problem is sin. Now, what is sin? Anytime you and I substitute what we want in the place of what God wants, we sinned. 
It could, it could work like this. God could say, hey, I really, I really don't want you to do this anymore. And you and I go, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I really want to do it some more. So I'm going to do that. Oh, you just sinned. It could go like this. God is leading you to do something, and you take a look at that, and you go, man, I really don't want to do that, so I'm not. Guess what? You sinned. You say, Ron, if that's the case, then I've sinned. I know. The Bible said all of us have sinned. You know, I don't mean any disrespect by this, but Dr. Billy Graham has sinned. I mean, who knows? He might have flipped off the driver that cut him off in traffic yesterday. I don't know. I don't know how he sinned, but I know this. Billy Graham has sinned. You know, Mother Teresa, she sinned. I don't know how. Maybe she jab-slapped a monk and cussed out a priest. I don't know, but I know this. She sinned. We've all sinned. And let me tell you, God has sinned to trouble. What kind of trouble? I want you to read three verses from the New Testament book of Colossians. Don't, don't try to turn here, man. It's just going to be too confusing. So don't, don't do that. Uh, the verses are on the screen. I, as a matter of fact, I see them right there. You know, I've been preaching here for six weeks, and I've never noticed that the scriptures are right there. <laughs> Hot dog, I've been liberated. That's amazing. Listen to what Paul said. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And we talked about that last week. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Verse 21. You've got to get this. You've got to see this. Now Paul is writing these words to Christian people just like you and me. And he says, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies. Is that mind-blowing to you? You were his enemies. Look at this next word, because it's a key word. Separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Did you know the Bible taught that? You know what sin did? It was like a wedge being driven between man and God. It separated man from God. And when it separated us from God, guess what else it separated us from? The plan. This separation caused us to forfeit our part in this wonderful plan that I just explained to you. That's not all it did. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. Just let me read this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 through 3. You used to live in sin. And he's again, Paul's writing to Christian people, but he's using past tense. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. That's a fitting description of me in my past. All of us used to live that way, so it must be a fitting description of you too. Following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, by our very nature we were subject to God's... You see that word? Yeah, you do. Anger. We were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Now, not only did sin separate us from God and all that He had prepared for us, all that He planned for us, but sin made us objects of God's wrath. He's ticked off at us. Now, there was a penalty or a sentence for sin. It was death. 
And when that, when that sentence was executed, it, it meant eternal separation from God in a horrible place called hell. So we have a problem, and the problem is sin. Now, man, throughout the centuries, throughout time, we've recognized that something's out of kilter with us and God. Something's not right between us and God. So we've come up with solutions on our own that we've tried to employ to make the situation better, try to fix things or repair things between us and God. For example, I think morality has been a solution we've come up with. Okay? Um, if sin's the problem, I'll fix that. I'll, I'll change. I'll do better. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to become a better person. I believe there were ten rules in the Bible. Maybe I can go back and, and the ones that I've been breaking, I won't break anymore. And You know the problem with, with change? It's typically speaking, when we try to change ourselves, ourselves, it's very short-lived. Now, before becoming a Christian, I had a super foul mouth. Um, I couldn't finish a sentence without at least cussing three times. And I began, there, there came a point as a young man, I, I recognized I'm setting a terrible example to my own family and, and I've got to change. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to become a better person. So the first thing I vowed was I'm going to stop cussing. I'm going to get my language under control. So, man, a couple of days passed. It was, I remember it was a beautiful spring Saturday afternoon. My lovely wife came to me and she said, you know what I would love to have? I would love to have a clothesline in the backyard for days just like this. I'd love to be able to hang out in the wash and I just love the way it feels and smells when you take it in. And so I'm like, no problem. Ronnie, the tool man Hodge, will have you a clothesline in no time flat. So I go to the hardware store and I buy me some metal wire. And there, some, you know, some, where we were living, there were two T-posts in the backyard. You know, the hard part's done. So I, you know, I fasten my metal wire to one end. And I walk out through there. And I, you, hey, you got to stretch it tight because those clothes are wet and heavy. You don't want them dragging the ground, right? So I'm stretched that thing as tight as I could. And I've got it tight as a banjo string. And the other end let go. I swear it came at me faster than the speed of light. There was no dodging it. And that metal wire slapped me right in the face. Now you'll be amazed at how quickly you can revert back to your old ways when you're hit in the face by a piece of wire. Listen, I was using words and phrases I'd never even heard of. The problem with change is, you know, our self-induced change rarely lasts. And let's say we pull off a successful change. What about all that rotten stuff we did before we turned over a new leaf? Now, here's the truth. Change doesn't work. You say, where do you get that at? I want you to read a verse with me. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul says, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. Not by obeying the law. You see, did you see that? Did you catch that? And we have, we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we, are, we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we have obeyed the law. Look at this next sentence. This, this is mind-blowing. For no one. How many? No one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. It doesn't work. Let me tell you another solution we've tried. 
good works. I've often asked people, you know, do you, are, you, are you ready for heaven? Are you going to go to heaven? And yes, Ronnie. And I'll say, you know, how do you know that? And, and I don't know how many times people have answered the question this way. I believe in the end, the good that I've done will outweigh the bad, and therefore God's going to let me in. That's a common answer. And so we, we, I think we operate under the mentality is that if, I'm, if I will do good, not be good, just be good, but if I will do good, if I'll do enough good. And so you know what we do? We, we serve at the soup kitchen. We serve at the homeless shelter. You know, we, we, we lead a Boy Scout troop. Or, you know, we look for any kind of good works that we could do hoping that in the end our good outweighs the bad and hopefully because of that God lets us into heaven. You know a big problem with that? It doesn't work. Let's let the Bible speak. New Testament book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, Paul says, but, when, our, but when, our, when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us. And here's the, you see this next sentence. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done. You can't do enough good to get in. But because of His mercy, He says, He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and a new life through the, through the Holy Spirit. And you know, so we try to reform or change, and we, you know, we try to do good things, but I'll tell you the big one we try. You know, the man's best thought out solution to this problem was, let's embrace religion. And if you're new here, I am anti-religion. And if you hang with us a few Sundays, you'll discover that. Religion's the worst thing that ever happened to mankind. But we, so we come to this conclusion, I'll find a faith of my choice or a denomination of my choice. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get involved. I'll, I'll find a church. I'll start coming to church. I'll memorize some things and recite some things and chant some things. And if I light enough candles and if I get me a goofy enough looking robe and a pointed out, I'm sorry, I'm really getting off right there, but yet listen to me. I'm going to get religious, and if I'm religious enough to fix my problem with God. You know the problem with religion? doesn't work. You say, how do you know? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking. He's got two groups of people. He's got this group that he's talking to who sincerely want to know how to make things right with God and get in heaven. He's talking to them. And he's going to explain to them. But over here he's got this group of people who were called religious teachers, religious leaders. They came under the umbrella of, a, a, the term was Pharisees. They were the most religious people that ever walked the face of the earth. So Jesus is talking to this sincere group. He's saying, now I'm going to tell you something. Let me tell you what, it, what won't work. And he turns to this group of religious people. Now Jesus was pretty... <laughs> Oh, he was honest. I'll put it that way. He was plain. You never had to wonder what he was, what he was saying. He points to the religious people, and this is what he says to the sincere people. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of this crowd, of teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
He said, you're going to have to have more than what they got because all they've got is religion, and religion doesn't work. Man, that's the truth. And, and here, if, if, if nothing else, here's what we human beings should have discovered at this point. We're helpless to fix this problem. God has a plan. We have a problem. And we're helpless in regard to fixing the problem. You say, Ronnie, this is, uh, now this is Easter. This is supposed to be the big build-up. Of course, I just see that my, my next point went, already went up on the screen. Man, you've just done nothing but shower us with bad news. Well, I'll tell you why. Because I'm building up to the good news. Okay, is my point not up there? My point's here. Have the verses not been up there the whole time? Have they been up there? Have they been up there? Okay. It's technology. I'm so confused. Old people like me, we just need to read out of the Bible. I, you know, just let us have the Bible. I gave you the bad news first because I want to give you the good news. And the good news is God has a solution. He has a solution to this problem. Let's read another passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. Listen to what Paul says. When we were utterly helpless, guys, that's where we are. Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. What do you think about that? Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight, how? By the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in all our wonderful new relationship, in our wonderful new relationship with God, because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I don't need to elaborate much on that, do I? But here's the deal. God saw that we were utterly helpless. So he created a solution. And the solution was to send somebody in this world to save us. And that somebody was his one and only son, Jesus. And God used the body of a young woman named Mary to give Jesus a human body. And Jesus lived on this earth for approximately 33 years. And in that 33 years, he aced it. You say, what do you mean? He lived a perfect, sinless, flawless life. Did not sin in attitude, word, or deed. Perfect. Yet, at the end of his life, wicked men had him nailed to a cross. And while he was on that cross, something unbelievable, unimaginable happened. While he was on the cross, God the Father considered his son Jesus to be guilty of all the sins of mankind. Sins committed before that moment he was on the cross. Sins that were taking place while he was on the cross. Sins that would eventually take place. Your sins and mine. And God the Father considered Jesus to be guilty. And Jesus willingly accepted responsibility for all those sins. So that while hanging on the cross, he died, which was our sentence. 
He died our death, paying our price, taking care of sin. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist said when Jesus died on the cross, he took sin out of the way. He took what was separating us from God out of the way. Now, Ronnie, does that mean that everybody is saved? No, but it means anyone can be saved. It means the door staying wide open. That's what it means. And on this day, we celebrate his resurrection. And you know, you, know the, you know the primary purpose of the resurrection was for Jesus to validate that he was who he said he was, and he did what he said he came to do. God's got a plan. We've got a problem. God has a solution that brings us to the fourth fact. We have a decision. John 1, 12, the Bible says, But to all who believed him, speaking of Jesus, and here's the key word, accepted him, accepted him, those he gave the right to become the children of God. Here's the decision that you and I will make over the course of life. We've got to decide what we're going to do with Jesus and what he offers Are we going to accept him and his salvation, or are we going to reject him? That's the decision that everybody eventually makes. Now, you say, Ronnie, what would I have to do to accept him? I really think it's three steps kind of rolled into one. I think step number one is to repent. I want you to read these verses, and I'm trying not to get in a hurry, okay? Do I have your permission to just kind of Take a deep breath and slow down here. Okay, thank you, Brian. I've got one guy. Yeah, we're good. We're good. rest of you, hang on. Brian and I, we got to talk. You got to repent. Don't you look at Luke 13, 2 and 3. There's been a tragedy and some people were killed. And Jesus looked at some other folks and said, Do you think those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? And Jesus asked them, do you think that's why they suffered? In other words, Jesus said, is the reason they were killed in this tragedy that they were worse sinners than the rest of us? Look how he answers. Verse number three, he said, not at all. And you will perish too, unless, unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. What does that mean? Uh, Repentance means a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. To, to, to accept Christ and what he's offering, you have to change your mind. You say, what, in regard to what? I think you have to change your mind about yourself. I think you have to come to a point where you change your mind about yourself and you admit, I need that. That's what I need. I think you have to change your mind about salvation to the point that you say, not only do I need that, I want that. And this change of mind has to lead to a change in direction and you turn to God. You turn away from a sinful, self-directed lifestyle and you turn the rest of your life over to God and say, here I am, I'm yours. I think there's a second step that will follow right in step with this and it is trust. 1 Peter 1.9, the Bible says, the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. You see that? So turning, trusting. Trusting starts with belief. It's accepting that Jesus was fact, not fiction. That Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again. And when he died, he died paying for the sins of mankind, including our sins. 
It starts with accepting that as fact. But that's not, that not, it's not necessarily trusting. Jesus even said the devils believe that story and tremble, but they're not saved. Trusting goes a step further. Trusting means you're going to rely on that. That you come to a point where you're not depending on morality. You're not depending on good works. You're not depending on religion. You're depending on Jesus and what he accomplished through his death and resurrection for your salvation. That's what trusting is. And then, you know, you're willing to turn. You're trusting. What's next? Acts 2.21. But everyone... Who everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be positively, absolutely, every time saved. So when you come to that point that you've had a change of mind, you're willing to turn your life over to the Lord, your trust, your will, your faith is in Jesus and what He did. It's just as simple. You ask. You ask to be saved. I tell you, what did that verse say? You ask and you will be saved. Your sins are forgiven. You're reconciled with God. And a home in heaven is reserved for you eternally. Now, Ronnie, why have you shared that with us? For some, it's food for thought. This is the truth. For others, today is the day you've got to make a decision. And here's what I believe with all my heart. I believe that some of you came here, some of you are sitting here, and you know what your decision is. I need that. I want that. Ronnie, I am ready for that. Well, you, you, don't, you won't be pressured at Golden Corner. You know that. I'm not going to come back and twist your arm. We're not going to do 132 stanzas of just as I am, as I tell one tear-jerking story after another, trying to get you to do something that you're not ready to do. And it won't. You know there'll be no pressure. The remainder of this service is for those of you who know what you want. I want to ask that everyone would bow their head and, and everybody close their eyes, creating a private place in this public setting. You want to make things right with God today? I'm going to ask you to do this. Just repeat this simple prayer to God in your heart. Right where you're sitting, just repeat this prayer to God. God, I admit to you, I've sinned. I know that you already know that. But God, I needed to admit that. And I'm asking you to forgive me now. Take care of my past. Wipe my slate clean. Give me a fresh start. I believe, God, that your son died on that cross. And I believe that when he did, he was paying for my sins. And I'm, I'm depending on him. And what he did. 
for forgiveness and entrance into heaven. I'm depending on that. And I want you to know that, God. I'm asking you right now, Lord, for Jesus' sake, to save me. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, Acts 2.21 says that God just saved you. It's that simple. It's that easy. I want to ask a favor of you. You don't have to do this. But if you just prayed that prayer and you, you wouldn't mind me knowing, maybe even you want somebody to know. I prayed that prayer, Ronnie, I was just saved. If you don't mind me knowing, would you just lift your right hand real high? Lift your right hand up, yes. Anybody else, yes. Anybody? Yes. Anybody else? Yes. Yes.